Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. Anytime you're in Huntsville, we hope you'll come be part of our worship. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. We hope you'll enjoy this lesson brought to us by Glenn Colley. Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Isaiah. The chapter is 9 and the verses are 6 and 7. From the New King James Version, it reads thus, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen. I can't imagine a man better suited to read that passage than Bob Gordon. And I love the deliberate and slow way and the reverential way he read that because that's how that remarkable passage ought to be read. And thank you. Bob. Now, before we get into this lesson, I, I've been looking forward to this sermon for, for a while now, and I'm eager about it. Before we get into it, I want to say something to the children and the parents of the children. Uh, I'm thinking about two years old up to fifth grade, and for those of you who don't know it, every Lord's Day, we have a, a sheet, a coloring sheet for the children. We provide the crayons and all, and they're back there on that table, and so the, the children can fill that out, and on an elementary way, they can uh, follow the sermon. And it, and it helps, helps mom, too, to be able to focus on the lesson, and it starts training the children and keeping notes and paying attention. And so every Sunday, they line up after the worship is finished before Bible class, and, and they bring those sheets to me, and I give them a little prize. Today is rather unique. So whether or not, children, you did a sheet, whether or not you did it, that doesn't matter today. I'm going to be sitting out there to, at the place, and we have a little gift for you. And so all the children, about two years old to about fifth grade, we're not going to send anybody away, but about that age group, we want you to come back after the sermon or after worship before you go to class, and we're, we're going to do that. I suppose if you ask people anywhere in the world, the chief Christian holiday, the answer would be Christmas. I'm a person who loves Christmas, and, and uh, it's just that I, I love it as a family holiday. I love gift-giving, and I, love, I really love receiving. That's, that's a lot of fun. Uh, I, I love to be with family, and I love to sit around the table and talk to my children and my grandchildren. There, there's, a, there's a conundrum every year about this because... I preach through the year that we need to 
do Bible things in Bible ways. And so I always feel compelled to make this observation. Nobody knows when Jesus was born. Nobody, I mean on earth, knows when he was born. Catholicism, the powers that be in Catholicism, randomly chose this date. It's not because they read it in the Bible that didn't. And as a matter of fact, it's very improbable from details that we do know that it was in the middle of winter that, that the birth occurred. That's beside the point, really. Uh, what, what I want to say to you this morning, though, by the way, I, don't you love to hear people use the name of Jesus at this time of year, though? I, I cannot help but enjoy that. I love the fact that people feel more free to talk and speak the name of Jesus, and I, I, I enjoy that. I just want to be sure that we're always clear about this. Biblically, we have no such evidence. And I, I think, frankly, if I could just be blunt about it, I think it's very interesting that, that God, who is omniscient and, and saw the future, didn't he see before the creation of, of the world what 2023 would be like? Didn't he see us before it happened? Well, of course, that's true. That being the case, and he saw that the chief holiday represented or recognized for Christians would be December 25th, don't you think it's interesting that he withheld then, with that knowledge, he withheld the date? Why would he do that? Except for the fact that he knew that this isn't the point, that it, that it distracts from the point. So I'm going to talk about the point today. I want to talk about the point, not about Christmas, but about, about Jesus. The, the headline on the front page of the Bible newspaper, if you please, isn't Mary is the mother of Jesus. I'm not, I, listen, I don't want to distract from that because I love, the, I love the biblical account of the historic account of the birth of Jesus, the, the miraculous conception, the miraculous coming of Jesus into this world. I love it. I, I don't want to distract from that at all. And I just, I just want to make the observation just to keep us on track. That's not the headline. The headline isn't on that front page of the Bible newspaper isn't, hear this, Mary's the mother of Jesus. The headline is about the father of Jesus. And I'm not talking about Joseph. The headline is about the fact that Jesus is the son of God. I mean, biblically, that's where the emphasis is in an overwhelming way. Now, when, when Jesus was born, that was the struggle the struggle was accepting that he really was God's son. It wasn't that he was born. It was that he was, whether or not he was God's son. And look at the people that struggled with that. So you start with, with Mary in Luke chapter 1, and Gabriel comes and says, now you're going to have this child, overshadow of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to bear this child. And his name is going to be called, are you ready for this? The son of God. What was her reaction? She struggled with it. She'd never seen anything like this before. And her reaction was, how could this be, seeing I've known not a man? I don't understand how this is possible. Well, it's possible because of who he is. It's possible and reality because he is the son of God. And you say, well, she must have gone through a lot. Oh, I think she did. I, I think it must have been horrific. You can imagine, and I'm going to go farther with this just to demonstrate this, but her, she, she had a lot of pressure. Could you just... Imagine all the whisperings that must have gone on around her. Did she hear them? Did she have to hear them? It's not going to get better. Even after Jesus is your own man, people are going to still make reference to this. I mean, she's not married. She, she's espoused to Joseph, but she's not married to him. And what we know is she's, she's getting larger. She's going to have a baby. And you can imagine how that must have been. And you would say, maybe you and I would say, well, 
uh, of course, people who love her the most, they're going to be the most understanding about this. And, and of course, the people closest to her will believe her when she says, you don't understand. I haven't been promiscuous. It's not that I've been in sin. It's because this, this is the angel. The angel said this to me, and this is what's happening to me. You say, well, the people who love her the most, they'll believe. So maybe, maybe the man to whom she's espoused, he loves her the most, is Joseph. No, no, that, that's... That, so, so that's not what happened. You get to Matthew chapter 1, you read about Joseph, and his reaction was, I'm going to put you away privately. What's his problem? It's not that he doesn't love her. It's that he doesn't believe this is the Son of God. He pro- probably wouldn't have put it in those terms, but you boil it down, that's what it is. He doesn't believe that this is really from heaven. Just can't believe that even though it had been promised and prophesied, the Messiah would be coming. And what about the brothers? Now we go to John chapter 7. The Bible says the brothers of Jesus didn't believe. This is sometime later. The brothers didn't believe in him. Now, ultimately, they would after the resurrection. But coming on up, and that arrow must have pierced the heart of my Lord. Here his brothers disbelieve he's not the Son of God because that arrow that passed through his heart with that sort of a criticism went right through and hit Mary. Isn't that true? Because if he isn't the son of God, then, then the natural implication is that it makes her a liar. She was promiscuous. She lived a wicked life. She lied about it. And she covered it up. And she created this hoax that she was bearing the Christ child. It was, it was a struggle to grasp that Jesus is the son of God born into this old world. And then when you get to the enemies, I'm telling you, when he starts his ministry and you get to the enemies, are you ready for this? Because this is going to be hard. The enemies of Jesus are going to reference the birth of Jesus to him in a mightily critical way. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 37. Jesus said to the Jews that didn't believe in him, I know that you're Abraham's descendants. But you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you've seen with your father. They answered and said, Abraham's our father. Now, stop a second, because there's two different ways that you can use the term father. Paul, Paul would refer to Timothy as his son in the faith. He's not his biological father, but spiritually he is, and there's two different ways. And Jesus has just said that they're descendants of Abraham, so biologically they are. But then he rises it to this other one, and he says, but, but you're, not, you're not the sons of Abraham. If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I have from God. Now, verse 41, you, he, Jesus said, you do the deeds of your father. Now, if you want to know who he's referencing, you go to verse 44. He's talking about Satan. Because they're liars, and he says, you're, the, you're, you're children of your father, the devil. That's who that is. Not, not Abraham spiritually. You know who your father really is. This is who you live after, not after really about Abraham. Abraham believed in me. But now verse 41, get this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, that's God. And when you read through the commentaries and the scholars, what you'll find is, is really a universal belief about this, that what they were doing was shooting an arrow back at, at Mary. They were not going to believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And so the conclusion is, as was from the brothers of Jesus early on, 
that she had made all of this up and Jesus was, are you ready for this, born of fornication. Now, hold that because that's the introduction to this sermon. That just sets the table for what I want to talk about. I want to invite today six individuals or groups of individuals to come in this sermon in your thinking to offer testimony that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm telling you it was difficult for people on some level to grasp at the beginning. They'd never seen anything like this before. But ultimately, of course, when you get to Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are going to be baptized. People who had participated, at least many of them, who had participated in the execution of Jesus are going to name him as Christ and believe that he's God's son. Now, there's evidence for that. I want to present biblical evidence for that, the deity of Christ, the sonship of Jesus Christ. That's what this sermon is going to be about. Now, let's do six. Six persons or groups of persons and their testimony about the fact that Jesus is God's son. Here we go. Number one is God himself, the Father himself. There are two occasions in the New Testament when God did something unusual by by audibly speaking from heaven out loud. Two occasions when he did that. And the the timing of this is kind of interesting because he he didn't do it in Luke chapter 1 or 2 when Jesus was born. He didn't do it when Jesus turned 12 and you have the silence of heaven interrupted by the voice of God. That's not when it happened. The first one is in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 17, and it's when Jesus was baptized of John the Baptist. Now, one of our people today that's going to testify is John the Baptist, but we'll get that in a few minutes. Here's Jesus being baptized, and from heaven, God says this, you you know this, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was beginning his earthly ministry, came up out of the water, and God spoke from heaven. And it wasn't just a cold statement. It was a warm statement from his his emotion wound into this. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's interesting that he didn't do it at the birth because this is in essence signing the birth certificate of Jesus. I can remember, I, I remember when Caleb was born, our firstborn. And I don't, I don't think they asked me to sign the, the birth certificate, but my name was on it. And to have my name on that. And then Hannah was born. And I felt the same, to, to have my name on that. Frankly, I didn't feel worthy of that. And it was just awesome. I mean, it, Cindy was there too. She had a part to play. But <laughs> well, the point I want to make is that, is that God is signing that birth certificate when he says, this is my son, this is my beloved son. And that's not the only time. The second time he did it's in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5. And you have Jesus now on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a fascinating time. And, and I, I think people wonder the point. What's the point of Jesus and Moses and Elijah on that mountain? And they're, they're, they're transfigured. They're, they're white, so white, bright light, like you can't look at it. And, and you have Peter and James and John are there. And what's the point? And I believe that the point is that Peter, James, and John are going to be preaching Jesus, that he's the Son of God. And it might mean mean their deaths. Tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down. And what are you going to do to make sure he knows that he knows that he knows that Jesus really is the Son of God? How are you going to convince him so much of that that he'd die for it? Man of transfiguration. He saw Moses and Elijah and he knew who they were. Moses and Elijah, they'd long been dead. 
And, and their personages here, is import, they're important because Moses represents the law, the Old Testament law. And Elijah represents the prophets. I mean, you've got the whole Old Testament laid out before you in these two men. And, and from heaven, God says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Ready for this? Hear him. He's my son. Hear him. There's one more thing before I finish this point. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16. I'm going to put it up on the, on the board for you. Is that what happened in the Mount of Transfiguration. Can you go to the next slide? What happened in the Mount of Transfiguration was important to their faith. Let's see if we can get that up. There you go. 2 Peter 1, 16. This is Peter writing. This is his epistle years later. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we told you that he really is the Son of God, it wasn't that we sat down and we tried to fabricate something that would be most convincing. It wasn't that this was a fable that we worked on. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Do you understand? We were eyewitnesses. For he received from God, the Father, honor and glory. When such a voice came to him from the excellent glory... This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you hear it? We were there. We heard that. And I'm telling you, it wasn't cunning, cunningly, uh, it wasn't, I'm going to say this correctly, cunningly devised fables. This was just eyewitness testimony. Number one, God the Father. All right, number two. Now to the stand comes the Old, the Old Testament prophets. What's their testimony about Jesus? And is he really the Son of God? Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And with, with, this, with this you're probably familiar. And a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Let's have that next slide. Will bear his son, a son and they will call his name Emmanuel. There's the prophecy, son of God. Now we go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6 that Bob read a moment ago in your hearing. Here we go. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There it is. Who is he? The prophet Isaiah says he's the son of God. Now the next one, Jeremiah chapter 23 I'm going to start with verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will, here's the testimony from this prophet. I will raise to David a branch of righteousness, a descendant of David. A king shall reign and prosper, execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell safely. Now this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Got it? Here's the testimony. Now one more. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And and you're probably familiar with this one. This one's just remarkable. But Bethlehem Ephrathah, there was two Bethlehems. And so he specifies which one, into which one, or at which one Jesus is going to be born. Though you're little among the thousands in Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from old, from everlasting. Now who fits that description, ladies and gentlemen? Who is it that fits this description that comes from everlasting? And the answer is, the Son of God does, and only the Son of God does. Where would he be born? Yeah, there you are. 
There's the testimony. Bethlehem Ephrathah. This is prophecy from God. And it nailed it, and it pointed specifically to Jesus Christ. And here's number three. Let's talk about John the Baptist, and let's have his testimony. Is Jesus really the Son of God? Now, I'm fascinated by John, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead you up to a particular verse and his particular testimony on this subject. Because John is the cousin of Jesus. The best I can tell, Mary and Elizabeth, that, that Elizabeth is Mary's mother's sister. I guess that makes... What does that make Jesus and John the Baptist second cousins? But when, when Mary is pregnant with our Lord, you know that, that she was sent to Mary, and then you have this communication that I'm going to read to you in a second. That's just wonderful. And I, I assume it was because all of the whispering and the persecution against Mary that was awful, that, that the Lord wanted her to be, God wanted her to be with, with her, her loved one. And Anyway, there's John the Baptist's mother is, is Elizabeth. Now, I don't know. I don't have in the Scripture the, the communication or how much relationship was between Jesus and his cousin John during the growing up years. But, but if you went to John as a man and you said, now, about your cousin Jesus, um, what, uh, what can you tell him? Would you recommend him? And about what credentials could you recommend him? John might have said... Oh, oh, yes, listen, he was, uh, he was a great guy. I mean, even when we were kids, he always obeyed his parents. He, he was honorable. I mean, when we got to be teenagers, while well, he, was, uh, he was, he always respected the girls. I mean, and, and growing into a man, he always, he'd give the, the shirt off his back. I'm telling you, Jesus is the salt of the earth. Now, he's his cousin. So maybe John the Baptist would say things like that. Would that convince you that Jesus was the son of God? Did, did John know that Jesus had even told he was the Son of God? Well, I mean, after all, his mother is Elizabeth. Did Elizabeth know for sure? The answer to that is certainly so. Here's Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 39. Mary arose those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah, entered to the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. Remember what happened? The babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth, full of the Holy Ghost, said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Now you look at that. You look at that and be impressed with the fact that Elizabeth knew. She knew that she knew that she knew. She knew like Mary knew that Jesus really is the Son of God. He is. Elizabeth knew it. Did she say that to John? I don't know. I, I would assume so. So when you press John the Baptist, a grown man, and you say, what about Jesus? Is he the Son of, the son of God or not? And John, of course, would say yes, but what proof would he give? What is the evidence that John the Baptist would give? Now we go to John chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 31. I did not know him. That doesn't mean that he wasn't aware of him. He's talking about whether or not he's deity, whether or not he's heaven's son, but that he should be revealed to Israel. I knew the Messiah would be, by the prophets, would be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John for witness, ladies and gentlemen, that means testified, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Brace yourself. Here's the next verse, verse 34. Can you change the slide? There you go. And I have seen 
and testified that this is the Son of God. John, John could have said a bunch of things. Well, yes, of course he's the Son of God. He's my cousin. I know him well. Big deal. That's not what he said. It's not what, that wasn't the testimony. His testimony goes back to God's statement in, in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5 when he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, who was standing there baptizing Jesus? It was John the Baptist. And John then later would say, Let me tell you what happened. And he gave his testimony. The testimony is that I heard the voice from heaven declaring him to be the beloved Son of God. That's who he is. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I would call that credible. Here's number four. Now to the apostles. The testimony on earth of the apostles. Now I want to bring one verse. It's 1 John chapter 1 or one passage. 1 John chapter 1, beginning in the first verse. Here we go. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. He's talking about Jesus here. He was from the beginning. And here's audible. They said, we have heard him, which we have seen with our eyes. There's visual, which we have looked upon. What's different? Why is that different? The answer is that they have logically analyzed. They've thought about things he said, about his presence, about everything about him. We've looked upon him. And our our hands have handled, there's physical, concerning the word. See, that's capitalized. It's Jesus. Concerning the word of life. The life was manifested We've seen and bear witness, here's their testimony, and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father. And are you ready for this? And with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, the the argument that I'm about to present to you now before we leave the apostles, is about the apostles, and it's one which I expect you've heard before. I just don't know any place that it's ever been better stated than by this gentleman, Haddon Robinson, who I don't know. But I want to give you his quote. Now let's go to the next slide. Here's the quote about this subject. Men have preached a lie, knowing it's a lie, if in preaching it, They've put gold in their pockets. Men have preached a lie knowing it was a lie if when preaching it, they've achieved power and authority. But men do not preach a lie knowing it's a lie if every time they preach it, they're courting imprisonment, persecution, poverty, and death. Men do not preach a lie knowing it's a lie if every time they preach it, They're pounding nails into their caskets. Men do not preach a lie knowing it's a lie if it means they will be crucified upside down as was Peter or that they will be beheaded as was Paul or that they will be stoned to death as was Stephen. It's contrary to all human experience for men to go out and spend their lives preaching a lie knowing it's a lie if every time they preach it they are ostracized from the community hounded by the authorities, and turned into the laughingstock of society. And yet, that's precisely the penalty the early Christians paid for preaching the resurrection. And those apostles said, we heard him, 
we saw him, we looked upon him, we handled him, he was manifested, and we are here to tell you under the threat of death, he's the son of God. He is the son of God. Number five, the angels. The angels. Have you ever considered, I mean, the angels are part of our lives. I wish I knew more about this. One of the things I want to know when I get to glory is about the angelic involvement in the lives of Christians today. I know that Hebrews 1 and 14 says it, that they are ministering spirits sent forth to minister unto people who, are, who belong to, to, to Jesus Christ, to Christians. And, and I don't know all the ways that works. I assume that he dispatches angels to carry out his providential will in our lives. And how that works, I, I, that's all I know. I, I, don't, I don't know more than that. But I'll tell you this, Jesus had a magnificent involvement with angels in his life. I mean, they, they were around him all the time. And you see, who, who, it was Gabriel in Luke chapter 1 who came to Mary and said, that which is, is to be conceived in you is of the Holy Spirit. It was an angel who did that. And when you get to those shepherds and you look at those shepherds out there in the field, why, the Bible says it was an angel who told them that the Lord was coming or had been born. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 13, it was angels who sang praise to the baby, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. And when Jesus then was a man and he was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 11, the Bible says that the angels came and ministered to him after he successfully resisted the temptation in Matthew 26, 53, when Jesus was about to be crucified and Peter, so impetuous, reached his sword out and sliced off the ear of Malchus. And Jesus said, put your sword up. Don't you know, I have 12 legions of angels at my beck and call. I just have to say the word. I don't need your sword, Peter. I've got this. It's because those angels are waiting, but I'm not going to call them. In John chapter 20, when you see the, the, the tomb on the, it was Sunday, it was the first day of the week, and, and those ladies and the others came and they saw the empty tomb. There were two angels there, one at the head and one at the foot of where Jesus had been laid there in that tomb. And the Bible says there were two angels there, called the men, and it says, but they were, described their clothing and the whiteness of their clothing, and it's clear that they're talking about, he's talking about angelic creatures. And then you get to Acts, the first chapter, and it was, it was the angels who escorted Jesus back to heaven. And here's the sixth one. This is the last one. The six persons, persons or groups of persons who testified the deity, the sonship of Jesus Christ. And this is Jesus Christ himself. He declared that he was the son of God. Now, that, that doesn't surprise you in view of the previous five it only makes sense, of course, that he would testify to this himself. So walk through this with me. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. What is that confession? I would argue it's the confession that, that the Ethiopian made in Acts chapter 8. It's the confession that Peter made in Matthew chapter 16. What a great passage, the passage about Jesus building his church. Well, the church was built on the confession that Peter had just made, that thou art the, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, 
the son of the living God. You're him. You're his son. On this rock, Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's, that's it. Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. All things have been delivered to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and no one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Now, the last one on this list is Mark, Mark chapter 14, beginning in verse 59. We're talking about occasions where Jesus testified that he truly was the Son of God. This one is, is so uh, important in my life, and when I eat the Lord's Supper, I guess every time, and I go through my mind, I, I rehearse in my mind the things that happened in preparation for the crucifixion and the trials, the, the upper room and, and the trials, and then the actual crucifixion. I play that out in my mind, and I can see it on the screen of my imagination. And I always, I always, at one point of that, find him before Annas, the father-in-law, the high priest, and before Caiaphas, the high priest. And there you have the Sanhedrin, whatever, ad hoc. They threw them together, whatever they could get together. They have this quick meeting at night, which was against the law, but that's what they did. And Caiaphas is going about trying to find people who will testify against Jesus. Well, it's mighty hard to find credible a testimony of wrongdoing against a perfect man. And they, they found none, and he was frustrated because this was his one good shot at having Jesus eliminated. One great shot, and he can't blow it now, but he doesn't have testimony against Jesus. And what are you going to do now? And his, his reaction was to go for broke. So he, he, he threw the football a long shot. This is what Caiaphas did. All the way down the field. Doesn't have testimony, doesn't have credible witnesses to stand against Jesus. What are you going to do? And here was the one. I adjure thee by the living God. You tell us whether you be the Son of God. That was it. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that response is going to have a, a magnificent impact on whether or not Jesus will be crucified. How Jesus responds right now is going to have a big impact on how the thing swings. And Jesus said, I am. I am a son of God. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, this must have been very dramatic. He ripped his clothes. He tore his clothes and said, what further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. Does that shock you? Because you've just been through the testimony. Excuse me, but the people who testified this morning about the sonship of Jesus Christ were the right people. They were there. They were there. Some of them died for it. You've heard the testimony. But what Caiaphas does is refer to that as blasphemy. You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the Bible says they all, see, they were part of a party. They were part of sort of a political party. And, and it is really interesting that all, there weren't any dissenters in that room. There wasn't anybody who said, hold on a cotton picking minute. Wait a minute. We, we haven't been talking about the evidence. There's evidence to the contrary. And by the way, that evidence is going to be preached very shortly, just a few weeks in Acts chapter 2, and 3,000 people are going to listen to that evidence that Jesus is Son of God, and they're going to be baptized for the remission of their sins. But on this occasion, 
that group of leaders of the Sanhedrin, the highest Jewish court, the supreme court of the Jews, but they were all of one mind, and that is that whatever happens, Jesus has to die. They were all on that page, and so they were willing to take this. In the middle of the night, no witnesses, and just on the, their presumption that he wasn't the Son of God. What, you've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they responded. They all condemned him to be deserving of death. Take to heart that when Philip baptized the Ethiopian in Acts 8, why can't I be baptized? If you believe, you can. I believe that Jesus Christ, he said, is the Son of God. They stopped the chariot. They both went down into the water, and he baptized him. They both came up out of the water, and that Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. What just happened? What just happened? And the answer is that, that he was forgiven of his sins, that Ethiopian, and he was added to the church of our Lord. The church that was built on the statement of Peter in Matthew 16, who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, it's a wonderful thing, and I, I didn't come today at all to diminish from the, the beauty of the historic account of the birth of Jesus. I'm just telling you, that's not the headline on the front page of the Bible newspaper. I made all that up. There's no newspaper. But this, isn't the, this is not the headline. It's not. The headline isn't breaking news, Jesus is the son of Mary. The headline reads, breaking news, Jesus is the son of God. Now, you and I are here this morning Worshiping the Father through that Son. That's what we're doing. We're worshiping Him in the name of Jesus Christ. And all of your life, you must be as convinced of this reality as people like Peter were when he gave himself to the death for this truth because it is true. And faith is not the absence of fear. You remember. It's the presence. Courage, I mean. It's not the absence of fear, but the presence of faith. And this faith is in the reality that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The implication of that belief is that I've got to follow Him. I must obey Him. He is from heaven. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is ultimate truth, ultimate objective truth. If you're not a Christian, you should be one. Would you, would you say it before this, this room of people? Would you say, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Would you say that? you repent of your sins and confess him, then you can be immersed in water. And the Bible says, Jesus said, it's in order to be saved. I've got to believe it. I've got to believe it. And if this morning you want to be immersed, you can. We'd be so happy to help you. Maybe that you need the prayers of Christians and we're here for you. And it's a great day. Today is a great day. This is the Lord's day. What a wonderful thing to worship our God and to think about the deity of, the sonship of Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word, brought to us by Glenn Colley. If you have comments or questions, Glenn can be reached by email at colley at westhuntsville.org.